Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Take a dose of every day But how am I supposed to stay In a world built on empty ways And the lessons are out of rage Thanks for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. We're on Series 2, Episode 44. I sat down this morning, which is odd for a morning podcast. I felt like I should have had a Bloody Mary with me. And I discuss all things fly tying with Pat Cohen. He's a brilliant and creative individual who is changing not only how we see flies, but how they're fished and the materials going into them and the tools we use to make these flies. There was a little bit of a glitch at the beginning, so Pat and I had to recreate some of the charisma and fun of the first couple minutes of the podcast. I think you all should enjoy this one. Be sure to visit rusuperfly.com. Go see Pat at the upcoming winter fly fishing shows, the ones he'll be attending. Buy his materials, buy his tools, and buy his flies. So sit back and enjoy this one. I think you're going to enjoy it. If you have not already seen the Bloomberg six or seven minute video on Pat Cohen, I suggest you watch it. I just watched it now, and it definitely helped me picture where he is and what he's doing while he's talking to me, which is tying flies. Enjoy this one, everybody. All right, so we have with us today Pat Cohen. 
we always I always sit down with him at fly fishing shows and we're distracted by things going on. So we're going to sit down today and get Pat's full story. There was a glitch, so hopefully we can uh, recreate everything and uh, and talk the hilarity. So Pat, where are you right now? I am sitting behind my vice in my office at, uh, at my house, upstate New York, Cobleskill. What is that near? If I was going to throw a dart. What's that? New York. Where, 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 what's like the nearest big city or? I am dead center in the middle of Oneonta and Albany. So I'm basically okay. planted in between the Catskills and the Adirondacks. Two hours, either way, I can be in the Catskills or I can be in the Adirondacks. It's a good location. All right, yeah, so we're going to talk. Except the, the only problem is that I've got to actually commute to go fishing because right by me, there's not much. All right. Um, so your background is a tattoo artist. Yep. And, and as I mentioned earlier, somebody first thought you were a um, Navy Special Forces person. That's pretty funny. I've never yeah. heard that one before. I've heard all, th- all sorts of things about myself, but Navy Special Forces is a new one. Um, yeah. I have no, I have no military background at all. Um, I'm I'm grateful for the people that do, but uh, that have served. Uh, but I am I am not one of them. But so yes. your background your background is in art. Yes. So tell us how you went from um, being an artist to, to fly tying. Well, I was a I got out of school with a bachelor's degree in art and. Um, didn't really know what direction to go, so I, I uh, ended up as a, a graphic designer for a while. I did screen printing. I did all sorts of things and uh, had always loved the art of tattoo. Found it difficult to get into that industry. Um, I went through several shops uh, apprenticing. Uh, it took a while to find the right, the right blend, the right mix. Um, there are lots of uh, there was lots of roadblocks along the way, lots of different things that kind of procrastinated my apprenticeship, and uh, eventually I found a, a decent shop or what I thought was a decent shop at that time that I finished up my apprenticeship in and started my my path down the uh, the tattoo industry, which was really good to me for a long time. And then, uh, I stopped enjoying it and fell into fly fishing one day. So you, you've been fishing for how long conventional? Uh, I, I fished on and off my whole life with, with tackle. Um, I was a, a horrendous fisherman. I couldn't catch anything ever. Um, and then one day I was out with my, with my dad and my brother and we were fishing on the Schoharie Creek, and my dad had uh, had dabbled a little bit in fly fishing over the years, but he didn't really know a whole lot about it. And uh, my brother had a eagle claw fly spin rod combo in his trunk, and I, for some reason, just decided that I wanted to try it. And I grabbed it out of his car, and I, for the first time ever, you know, what's funny is when when you're um, being a spin fisherman at that point, you know, I'd always thought that you wanted to kind of keep your feet dry, you know, and I had seen on TV fly fishermen and they were always out standing in the middle of the rivers. 
so I grabbed this fly rod and I walked out into the middle of the, the middle of the stream and started whipping it around like like a bullwhip, kind of like an animal, and didn't know what I was doing. But eventually, the line made it out into the water, and uh, yeah, I don't know, something clicked, and I liked it. Didn't catch anything that day, but became absolutely obsessed with the idea of fly fishing and started researching and reading and uh yeah i don't know it just kind of went from there fell in love with fly fishing now these days we've got youtube for pretty much anything fly fishing related did you rely a lot on that a little bit yeah because uh i I am completely self-taught on the on the fishing end of it as well as the tying end of it um so in the beginning, you know, I, I, I watched a little bit of casting videos and stuff so that I could learn how to how to actually make that line go out into the water. Um, and then I bought a, a book by Lefty Cray, actually a, a casting book, um, and, and learned, learned how to cast from that book and a whole lot of practice and a whole lot of frustration. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just kind of went from there, and then and then I started researching and started reading books about fishing and and fish and fish behavior, and for that was kind of the first time I had never really, I never really spent any time researching or learning about fishing, um, even though I fished, and and I don't know why, all of a sudden having a fly rod in my hands made that change, but it was a drastic change, all of a sudden. I I was very interested in all of it and I wanted to understand fish behavior and uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden I started catching fish Um, that first year of fly fishing. I caught more fish that first year with a fly rod in my hands than I ever did my entire life with a spin rod. And it's not the spin rods fault. It was just the simple fact that, that I didn't, I didn't really know, even though we all thought we knew what we were doing, I really didn't know what I was doing until I, until I started really, really, really researching and, and understanding the behavior of the fish that I was chasing. And uh, putting a fly rod in my hand made me do that for some reason. Interesting. What brand is your is your rod of choice these days? Uh, right now, um, I am uh, I'm on uh, Epic's Pro Staff. Uh, they they make some of the best fiberglass fly rods going right now and uh i absolutely love their rods i gotta see uh schmidt's nine weight epic recently that thing was uh was pretty cool yeah the the nine weight is a absolute absolute cannon i mean i can cast 12 inch pike or musky flies with that nine weight um all day and not not be exhausted it's uh yeah, it's it's just a powerful, powerful rod. I mean, their their S two glass, their fast glass is is incredible. Top of the game okay. for sure. What about real? What's what are you pair, pairing with that one? Uh, I uh, I use uh, three tans reels. Um, Ron is an unbelievably cool guy. They've got a great they're- staff, and their their reels are are un- unbelievable. I mean, super lightweight, super durable, strong unbelievably smooth drags on them it's just a great company seen a lot more of them daily on social media i know mossy creek just picked them up yep Uh, yeah they're definitely a growing brand um somebody to 
to pay attention to for sure. There's big things coming down the pipe from them, and uh, they really, they really know their, they really know their stuff, and they're making a, a top quality product. And you also kayak fish. I do. I mean, what's kayak brand you use? I just want to get your favorite brands. Uh, I'm with uh, Jackson Kayaks. Um, I, I, I fish out of their Kilroy, which is kind of a, a hybrid. It's um, it's not quite a sit inside. It's not quite a, a sit on top. It's somewhere somewhere in between, but it's an unbelievable boat. And uh, Jackson, all of Jackson's kayaks are incredible. I mean, if you're looking to get into the fishing kayak scene, definitely their boats are worth giving a look um really uh everybody on their on their staff are are professional kayakers in some some capacity whether it be whitewater or uh you know or fishing they all know their stuff and they're all built by guys that know what they're doing that's what we don't want to hear about something you're going to use it's by the people that that are using it themselves absolutely all right so uh the name are you superfly yep where, where did you come up with that? Um, it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It, uh, it came from a movie from the 70s, um, and the, the theme song behind it was Superfly, and I just thought it was kind of funny. So it was a combination of that and uh, a little throwback to the, to the wrestling days um, you know, of, of TV wrestling, of uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker, Snooker. because yeah. it was just cool. You know, it was a little bit funny, a little bit tongue in cheek, a little bit throwback to those things. And, uh, you know, now it's, you know, the question, are you Superfly? That was just, you know, asking literally, are you Superfly? Again, tongue in cheek, a little funny. Right. And then uh, you got belt buckles. Are those still available? With the uh, logo? Those, those are long gone. Yeah, I've okay. done all sorts of things over the years. I did hats, I did patches, I did those that limited run of of handmade handmade uh, bronze buckles. But now those are gone. Those were those were made. They were numbered. There was twenty five of them. So whoever's got them has got them, and that's it. I've got the original that's molds awesome. for them, so they'll they'll never be made again. We can always heat it up and brand somebody. I guess it'd be backwards though. At iCast. You could. And, uh, or, or Somerset. Yeah. You know, a backwards brand. My buddies, we used to like hold, take our hemostats and like hold a penny and we'd put a lighter under it, uh-huh. get it all hot. You'd throw it at somebody and unsuspecting you'd catch it. That's, and you'd have, that's great. <laughs> you'd, you'd have like Abe Lincoln on your palm for several days. That's, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that, man. Good for yeah. you guys. I'm glad that we weren't friends when you were doing this. <laughs> We were destructive growing up in Reston. Yeah, I guess. So, so the, the thing about your tying is it's been like hyperspeed. From the time you started tying to where you are now, it's literally like the age of my kid. And she's in preschool right now. <laughs> so how did you go from your first vice and kit to, to now you're looking out the window into snowstorm tying. How, how, tell us the story, the timeline, if you will. Um, how did you get into tying? Well, 2008 was when I picked up a fly rod for the first time. And, uh, you know, as I said, I became pretty into this sport pretty quickly. Um, I, I fell in love with it. And, uh, 
2009, I, I tied my first fly, um, which, which were, uh, just basic flies. I was tying crystal flash woolly buggers because they were, they were performing well and I was catching lots of smallmouth bass with them. And at that time it was purely utilitarian. It was, you know, I needed, I needed to be able to bang out a dozen flies in the evening so that I could go out and fish in the morning before I went to work. Um, because you, uh, you know, when you're fishing for smallmouth and small streams, you make a lot of river sacrifices of flies. So I started tying those and I started learning the basics. And, um, you know, I'm kind of in an area where there's not a lot of things. So fly shops and things like that are not really here. So I didn't have a lot of access other than what I could see on the internet to, to see flies and, and, and talk to people about it and really figure out what's going on. Um, so I, I had went into a shop and, uh, and I discovered all these other flies that were going on, you know, all these bucktail streamers and, and bass bugs. And, and I had no idea what a bass bug was at that point. So I, I started talking to them about them and, uh, and I bought a couple and I, uh, brought them home and I fished them the next day and I started catching largemouth on, on top water with these bass bugs. And then after a couple of fish, they would, uh, start to fall apart on me. And I said, boy, seven, $8 a fly. These things should last more than one or two fish. So I started learning how to make them. And, um, I had seen a youtube video and i cannot remember for the life of me who it was on that youtube video that that was tying a bass bug but basically i got the gist of it i learned at that point how to spin it was spinning that i had learned first how to spin a basic solid color popper um, like a taps bug that that kind of thing real basic and once i learned that i said boy there's got to be a way that i can that I can make designs and make bars and blends and, and, and stuff. And I, I began to explore other options and, and other techniques. And I, I had read about this thing called stacking and uh, stacking is what I do now. Stacking enables you to control all of the hair on the hook and, and place colors wherever you want. And, uh, and I learned it and I started getting pretty good at it. And I started making my own, my own patterns and my own colors. And I started making flies that I really wanted because the, the selection at, at fly shops was, was very limited. Nobody was really producing any, you know, any real crazy looking stuff. Um, so I started making the flies that I wanted to fish with and they just happened to be pretty crazy looking pattern, you know, patterned combos and, and whatever. Um, so we'll, we'll back up a little bit. Um, you know, I, 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 when I, when I first got into this, I belonged to, uh, a fly tying forum and I, they, they have, uh, they, they used to have, I don't know if they still do it. I haven't been on there in a long time, but they used to have a, a big competition. I think Facebook killed most of those forums. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Social media is a funny thing. Um, but yeah, so, so they used to have this big competition and I, uh, 2009, when I started tying flies, I, I, I entered the competition with a couple of bass bugs and I, and I won rookie of the year, which was at that point, I mean, I was, 
beyond excited about it because I had no idea what, you know, really what I was doing still. I was just kind of making stuff that I wanted to fish with. And then 2010, I entered it again and I, and I won fly tire of the year. And then they invited me through hatches magazine. They invited me to come and tie at their booth at one of the shows. So I made a bunch of bugs, you know, just cool looking stuff that, that I really dug. And, uh, and people were really, really, really excited about what I was doing. Um, so I, I sold a bunch of them and, and then, you know, social media, I got involved in Facebook and stuff like that. And, uh, started putting my stuff out there and not, not to sell or, or nothing like that. Just, you know, I wanted feedback from basically from other anglers and other fly tires. And, you know, it's nice to be able to show what you create and uh, get some feedback on it or whatever. And people started really paying attention to what I was doing with, with deer hair bugs and, and warm water fly tying. And then I was invited on my own accord to, to participate at one of the fly fishing shows. So I, I shared a table with a guy and my first year was unbelievable. I mean, I sold basically every fly that I had brought with me, um, which was, you know, at the time, I mean, that was just like, wow, I, who knew that people were going to like what I'm doing so much. Cause right. again, it was nothing. It was just me making making things that I really liked that I wanted to fish with. And it's pretty much stayed the same as far as that goes. I mean, I make flies that I like that I want to fish with. So, you know, if all goes well, other people like them as well. And so far, you know, so far it's worked out just that way. Um, so yeah, that, was the first- uh, that first show was awesome. And, uh, and then people started following me and, and checking out what I was doing and, and it just kind of went from there. That show is when we first noticed the punk rocker and, and flies on display, where normally it's traditional Atlantic salmon flies tied with, you know, yeah, yeah, that uh, Mesoamerican feathered kingfisher and an Australian grebe. Exactly. Um, I've got I've got one of Union's flies. I have a Tom Tickler he tied because it's a hilarious name. But it was the first time that your flies were on that that piece of driftwood. Yeah. That was all shellac and lacquered up. And what's the difference between a display fly and a fishable fly? Well, display. Besides the price. Display, yeah, besides the price, yeah. Display flies, um, you know, you're, you're taking basic fly tying techniques and fly tying materials. And you're creating... I mean, for, for more or less, you're, you're creating a work of art. You're creating a, a little tiny fly painting slash sculpture, because that's really how I look at like the, the deer hair display stuff. I mean, all those colors blended together, all those, you know, all, all those patterns and whatever. And especially like some of the, the fish that I make, you know, you're really you're really painting with, with that hair, um, by blending all that stuff. But, but what you're doing essentially is you're, you're carving at the end of it. I mean, to come out with that final product, you're, you're taking all that hair, you're blending it together in your hands, you're blending it on the hook, you're creating what you, you know, you've got to have kind of a clear path ahead of time. You know, I want this color to be that you know, or I want the bottom of this thing to be this color. I want bars over here. I want spots over there. So the, the idea is that you're, you're creating this, 
this solid block of of color of hair and then from that you know you end up with this thing that looks like a giant caterpillar on your hook and then through you know through the use of razor blades and and basically carving like i said you're you're pulling that that final shape out of nothing out of this mass of of fluffy hair on a hook um so to me a display fly i mean any bass bug really is is a little sculpture on a hook. It's a little carving on a hook. Um, now, what makes a display fly a display fly versus a fishing fly? Display flies are not necessarily balanced out the same as a fishing fly would be. And what I mean by that is they look cool. There's something that, you know, somebody spent an enormous amount of time on to get all these designs and whatever. But if you put it in the water, it's not going to do what you think it's going to do. And the reason like roll over on its side. What's that? Like roll over on its side. It's not. Yeah. Gonna yeah. They're not action. balanced. They're not balanced to fish with because they're never meant to be actually in the water. They're really meant as a collector style piece of art. And, uh, you know, that was it's still a fairly new concept as far as taking a warm water fly, especially a bass bug and turning it into a piece of of fish art. Um, you know, when I started making these things, people, I don't want to say they were apprehensive, but they had never seen, um, a bass bug viewed as, as collectible art before. So when I came out with that punk rocker series, that was really my first, my first display style bass bug people went nuts they were like oh my god we've never seen such a thing and i mean i sold i sold those punk rockers in i think it was 35 or 36 countries i've got people that have collected those wow. you know and uh and from there it just went into the rest of it i said well if i can make if i can make these punk rockers i wonder what it would be like if i started if I started shaping and, and carving and and really making realistic looking fish out of out of deer hair, and uh, now you know the rest of that display style fly has kind of you know kind of evolved from that, um, and now I, I can pretty much make anything out of deer hair. I mean, I've made birds, I've made rattlesnakes, I've made all sorts of stuff for people. It's a pretty cool medium, and yeah, what you're doing with it is definitely revolutionary. Yeah, it's um, fun, you know. It offers a lot of creative, uh, creative range. That's for sure. Yeah. So, when did you go from tattooing as the majority of your income to tying, and then when did it finally switch over to just tying? Well, I uh, I started really disliking the tattoo industry and. Um, and I had gotten, you know, I did that, those first couple of shows and, and I started getting a lot of requests on Facebook and stuff. People really wanted to buy my flies and, and whatever. And, um, so at that point I was, I was tattooing like 50 hours a week and then I was tying flies another, you know, another 30 on top of that. And it just got exhausting. And, and I made some friends with some commercial fly tires and I said, you know, we started talking about the business side of flies and fly fishing and uh, if there was any money in it and if I could, you know, if there was potential for me to be able to pay my bills doing this, if I, 
if I opted out of tattooing and I, and I decided to, to try to do this for, for a living. Um, and you know, they, they all basically told me the same thing. You know, if you're, if you're willing to work and, uh, put in the time, you know, you can, you can make a comfortable living. I mean, nobody's rich in this industry, that's for sure, but yeah. you can, you can certainly pay your bills and, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And, You're happier. Uh, be happy. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, um, you know, I, I started getting a little bit more, a little bit more popularity and, uh, I started creating a lot of my own patterns and a lot of my own, uh, my own designs and whatever. And, and bass bugs in general started really kind of gaining speed again. You know, people wanted to learn how to do them. People wanted to fish them again. And, uh, and I started, you know, I started seeing an increase in the fact that, that people were really, really, really getting interested in this whole idea of warm water, you know, warm water fishing and warm water flies. And uh, I had a website built. And when I had that website built, you know, orders really started kind of rolling in. And uh, I said, well, you know, I mean, my, my, my other half she, we, we sat down and we discussed things and, uh, she totally urged and pushed me and, and said, you know, you're, you're miserable tattooing now. You've got an opportunity right now. People are, are into what you're doing. You know, why not? What do you have to lose? You can always go back to tattooing if you have to. So why not, why not take the chance and see if you can make this work? And, uh, so I did, I, I took the plunge and it's been, I've done this now for four, four years full time where I'm, you know, I'm tying flies for a living and I'm creating flies and I'm teaching classes and I do, I do presentations on, on catching these fish. Um, you know, I've designed some materials, I've done a little bit of some tools, obviously. I mean, I've got the fugly packer. I mean, I've done all sorts of things in this industry in a very, very short time, um, so how did you come to start working with like hairline and, and Copic? Um, like- well, hairline. Um, so, all right. So when you're, when you're a commercial tire, obviously you've got to, you've got to be able to get materials um, so that you can, you can make your flies. So my relationship with hairline basically started at that point. I, um, I needed a, a supplier for high quality materials so when I got my business license and, and all of that stuff, um, I had set up my account with hairline and I was buying all my, you know, a lot of my materials anyway from hairline. Um, and then, you know, my, my fugly packer, um, came to be and, uh, they had contacted me about that and, and they, they were really interested in, in offering that to their, to their shops and their customers. So, that took a little while. I mean, there's a whole long story behind the, the, the fugly packer. I mean, we could have a whole conversation about that, 
that alone about what it took to bring that to market and develop it. And it was, it was a crazy, crazy journey into the world of manufacturing to make that whole thing happen. But, um, we can, we can talk about that later. So, so they were really interested in that. And that was the first thing that I made happen, um, on a large scale so that hairline could distribute it. And, uh, our relationship just kind of blossomed from there. You know, we, uh, we've done, we've done some cool things together with a whole bunch of cool things on the way. Um, they're, they're just a tremendous company. And I want to get more into the products later, but so now you're a professional tire, you're all over the interweb. Yep. And then there, there's, there's people out there on, on like Facebook that say they work for you. Oh geez. Yeah. The, the Kenyans. (laughs) Yeah. So, so do you want to tell some of those stories? You know, like it's imitation. What is, what is the thing? Flattery imitation. There's a saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think every uh, every fly tire out there um, has had a run in in some capacity with uh, the commercial Kenyan fly tires, and I've got nothing against any of them. I mean, they're they're trying to make a living just like the rest of us. Uh, what I don't like is is when they when they steal images from other fly tires that have worked really hard to develop something and then put it out there as their own, and uh, that's happened several times. I mean, it's happened, like I said, with pretty much any fly tire out there, you know, has a story of, of similar, similar content, but yeah, the, one of the latest ones was, uh, you know, I, I look on this guy, he contacted me, he goes, you know, and they all start out the same. The emails always go the same. Do you fly fish? No, I, I don't fly fish. That's, that's why there's flies all over my, my Facebook page. But so he, he, you know, he contacted me and I looked on his page and his gallery is full of my flies. <laughs> so I'm looking and, and, uh, and then it says works at Superfly, lives in Cobleskill. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, Cheech from uh, Fly Fish Food and I, we, we joke about it quite a bit because he's had quite a few run-ins with them also. So I contacted the guy, and of course, my my the first interaction, they basically told me told me off, you know, who are you? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of the guy that that owns Superfly that that you're saying that you work for. And then of course the the tone the tone changed a little bit once they knew it was me. And, uh, I was like, look, you gotta, you gotta get rid of all your photographs because you stole them all from me. And, you know, then they, they got real nasty and, uh, you know, basically told me off again. And I, I let them all know that they were all copyrighted and whatever. And, you know, they'll be hearing from my lawyer shortly. And then of course everything came down. Um, but it was just kind of amusing. I mean, yeah, like I said, they're just trying to make a living too. I get it. I mean, this whole idea of uh, American tied flies filling filling commercial bins in shops is uh, I don't want to say it's a new idea because it used to be that way, and then everything went to Kenya and to Sri Lanka and places like that, and now now there's a big surge for American fly tires again. So these guys these guys in these these third world countries are just trying to just trying to hold on to what they had as a living. I get it. Yeah. I, mean, I, I almost feel bad for them in a way that, that we were switching gears again as a, as a, as an industry. I mean, I think it's great. I, I love the idea of American made American tied American, whatever, but you know, they're, they're just trying to hold on to what they had. I get it. So 
do you want to go into then how Bloomberg contacted you for that little web segment? Yeah, um, Bloomberg Bloomberg Financial has a a uh, segment called Bloomberg Pursuits, and they put together a a series of short films that featured various American craftsmen um, in in several different industries. Um, you know, one of the one of the videos was a couple of knife makers, and then they did um, this this woman that that makes these amazing one of a kind leather jackets and uh, a hat maker, they all sorts of American craftsmen on there. And they had contacted me and said, Hey, we, uh, you know, you're, you're doing some stuff that we've never seen before with flies. You know, we'd love to feature you on, on our show. And I said, no kidding. All right. You know, so they came out here and we spent three days together and we tied some flies and we went out and fished and, uh, you know, really the, the whole thing was just, showcasing why why we do what we do as american craftsmen why we why we make what we make um you know how we do it how we survive why why we survive and uh it was pretty cool it was a cool thing to be part of and i think it i think really it opened up um it opened up some eyes to to fly tying and fly fishing that you know maybe maybe people that had never seen what uh what can be done or or what is being done i mean one of the big things that they that they showed on that video was was the birds that i make and uh, you know those birds are completely they're they're meant to fish i mean we've caught everything from brown trout to muskie to bass you know to pickerel on on those little baby birds but you know a, a lot of people would would think of of baby birds and they wouldn't think of fish eating them or they wouldn't think of a fly that was meant to imitate them. And I think things like that really open up doors to, to other people, you know, or, or open up, you know, open up that, that line of, of communication and understanding of what's going on or what could be going on that they had no idea before. Have you seen the video? It's a, it's a joke, but it's for artisanal firewood. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder yeah. yeah it was pretty funny <laughs> yeah last week we were talking about watermelon boy so now we're talking about the firewood watermelon boy if you didn't know ate an entire watermelon at a cricket match in a rugby match in australia like the rind and everything that's amazing they they kept panning to him during the match okay. they kept getting smaller and smaller i don't know how i missed that yeah all right so uh i want to get into so we've got you know your background now i want to get into how and what you do things. So talk about tying. Um, I'm assuming you probably have like a dedicated room for yeah, tying I've in your a, house. I've got an office, like a, a whole room in my house um, that is just for my business. Um, it's, you know, cause I, I do a little bit of everything in this, in this industry. So I, I've got, you know, I sell some materials, I've designed materials um, and I tie flies full time. So I've got, you know, two big desk spaces that we built out of doors, actually. Um, and uh, that's that's my workspace, you know, where I just sit and tie flies all day. How do you have your material organized? You got like bins and drawers, pegboard on the wall? A little bit of all of that, actually. Um, two, well, one, one and a half of the walls is solid pegboard. 
And then I've got um, underneath my tables, I've got bins and rollout drawers and and all sorts of stuff. I mean, my materials though are I don't have uh, you know a gazillion different types of materials. I mean, I've collected stuff over the years or whatever if I wanted to try something new, but I keep my materials pretty basic to to what it is that I produce. Um, you know, and it's the same thing with with selling materials you know i try to i try to offer to my customers you know what whatever it is that the flies that i produce i also try to offer them the materials so that if they opt to you know to want to make them themselves they'd be able to do that you know through through my website as well so i don't i don't have like you know i don't i don't have an inventory of sixty thousand dollars worth of materials I, I i just can't do that you know i'm a, a one-man operation yeah do you have a squire or a peg boy or anything that helps you out an intern from like <laughs> yeah, the local high school are, are you interested i could use one uh, you are getting snow up there i, I miss the snow come on up <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no and it's, it's just it's, me i mean i'm a it's a one-man it's a one-man operation i mean i do um on my website, I do uh, I do represent some other fly tires. Like I sell I sell some flies that are tied by a couple of other American fly tires. Um, but as far as my flies go, I make I make every single one of them uh, that goes out the door. They are all tied by me. Is it difficult to order things? Like I, I, I imagine, like a chef. They're not going to want to mail order shallots, garlic, lettuce. How are you ensuring that you're getting like the exact kind of density of deer hair or length, or you just know that hairline is picking the best of the best? Um, well, here's the thing is, uh, I, I mean, not, not everything comes from one place. Uh, but what I do is when I bring when I bring materials in from from whatever source it happens to be, uh, I grade it. I, I literally I go through every single package of every single material that I offer, and I only sell high quality materials. So it's basically it's time consuming, but. When I get, you know, and, and again, I, I order, I order materials from, from various places or whatever. Um, but Hairline's been unbelievably good to me, and I, I, I do use a lot of their, a lot of their products. But just like anything else, I mean, when you're talking about natural materials, and and a lot of what I use is natural materials, you're not always going to get what you want. So that's where the grading process comes in. And that's why if you look like, you know, my deer hair is called select deer hair because literally it is selected. I go through, I order thousands of dollars worth of deer hair and I have to go through every single piece of hair and pick out what's good and pick out what's not good. And uh, I make sure that my customers get the very best of what I can bring in. And, uh, sometimes that's easier said than done. And sometimes you'll go on my website and you're not going to see a color there for a couple of weeks. And that's because I wasn't happy with what I could get and I won't sell it. I think that's one of the reasons that people come to my site for those things is because they know they're getting, 
they're getting hand selected materials for, you know, for specifically what it is that, that I'm offering here or, you know, what it is that I'm doing, which means, you know, they, they know they're going to get the very best of, of what I can give them. What happens if it doesn't make the cut? Where does that stuff go? Uh, well, I've got bags of that, of materials that I'm not happy with. And, uh, you find uses for them, you know, not, not every fly requires two inch long hair. Um, so if I'm doing a head on a fly or if I'm doing a fly that doesn't necessarily need top quality materials, I will hang on to that stuff and it all gets used eventually. But those are the things that I'll keep and I'll use them. Um, I would rather, I would rather send out the very best and use you know, less than that for myself. I mean, I, I've got a pretty good understanding of the materials, so I can take a piece of hair that's not as good and I can turn it into something, um, you know, that, that, that the finished product is very good where maybe somebody with less experience wouldn't be able to do the same thing. So they need a better piece of hair. So I would rather hand that out to, to my customers than I would, you know, then I would use it. I mean, as much as I'd like to use top quality materials all the time, I, you know, I'd rather sell them and offer them to people. Mm-hmm. All right. So you started off using, you said it was a Wopsy kit. Yeah, it was a, a Wopsy fly tying kit was my first thing. All right. What vice are you using? now? Uh, I use uh, all the peak peaks vices. Specific model of peak. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, they, they've got two two real main vices on the market now, and I use both of them for different reasons. So their their standard rotary vice is uh, an amazing all-around workhorse, and it's got, you know, different jaws that you can put in it to, uh, to accomplish different things and accommodate different hooks and styles of tying. And then they have a new vice that came out on the market, and if you saw that Bloomberg video, you're going to see me using that new vice that's in the market – it's uh, called the LIRS, <clears throat> excuse me, the LIRS or the Jurassic series. And, and what that is, is uh, it's, a, it's a, a kind of system that they've developed that literally locks your hook down into the jaws. There's no other vice on the market like it. Um, in that video, you see me, I've got a, I think it was a 4.0 hook that I had in the vice, but I picked the entire vice and pedestal up by the hook and that hook didn't even budge in that job. Nice. Very um, nice. So those, yeah, I've been with peak for a long time now. Um, this actually, all right. So I get that fly tying kit and I tied with that for like my first, I don't know, six months or so. And then I needed an upgrade and the peak that I tie on still to this day is my very first vice that I ever bought. And that was, uh, that was, you know, sometime in 2009, and uh, I still use the very same vice. Along back with in the day, too. Back, back in the old days of a couple years ago. That's right. The dark, the dark years a few, a few years ago. Yeah. Still can't get over how far much you've accomplished in such little time. It's, yeah, it's absolutely been a remarkable. Crazy journey. Yeah. All right. What about scissors? Um. Well, I. Uh, I've used all sorts of scissors actually. Um, right now, um, right now I use, uh, Dr. Slick's hair scissors. Um, 
but I have a pair of scissors. Well, I've got four pairs of scissors actually that I'm in the process of having made and finalized uh, that are made specifically for for cutting hair and for dealing with hair. Um, there's, you know, I, as much as I love the slick scissors, there's, you know, there's things with every product that you you love some, you don't like some, or you know, you like this but you don't like that. So. I, uh, I try to take those things and I, I try to figure out, okay, what can I do to make that item better um, or solve the problem that I'm having? So I did that with scissors recently and I, I was having a problem with the scissors and I said, okay, what can I do to make scissors better for what it is that, that I need them for? And uh, I figured it out and now I'm just waiting for the final the final thing to uh, to occur there, so that I can I can bring those to market shortly. It'll be a couple months still, but they're on the way. I love how your preferences and your tying style is influencing not just the flies, but the stuff that goes into creating them for everyone else to use. So the fugly packer, and, and we'll get to some other material stuff. But yeah, well, very that, interesting. You know, that's kind of what happens is you you know that that's. That's how products come to market in general. You know, you, you have a problem and then you solve the problem. Um, and, and chances are, if you're having a problem, other people are having the same problem too. But because there was no solution, they just carried on in the same way. So when, when you have a problem and somebody presents a solution to that problem, all of a sudden that light goes on and goes, oh man, I didn't even know that this you know, that there was a solution to this issue and now look, you know, now look what I've got. And that yeah. was kind of, you know, that's, that's how the fugly packer, you know, kind of came about. All right. If you want to talk about that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to the fugly. It's, it's on the list somewhere, but let's talk about it now. It's this bright green. Um, it looks like, I always say it looks like what you used to pull babies out with. That you grab them <laughs> by their temples and, and pull them out. Yeah. Well, uh, if my daughter got a hold of one, she'd probably pretend it was like a Tyrannosaurus Rex's jaw probably. and like attack her Polly Pockets with it. It's truly a multi-use tool, man. It could entertain your children, take down a home invader, and flip some steaks. Yeah. If someone gets their hand cut off, they could, you know, get a fugly packer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, put attach on there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that whole thing, uh, you know, the fugly packer was... That was the first product that I that I created that I, I brought to market. Um, it was quite a quite an extensive project and quite a learning quite a learning project. Um, you know what what had happened was the I was beginning to pack deer hair bugs so tightly that um, the products that were on the market already just they weren't able to handle the pressure that I was putting on the hair and the hook, and they were bending, they were breaking. Um, I was putting fly or, you know, I was putting hooks in my fingers and I said, boy, there's, there's gotta be a way that I can, that I can pack these things as dense as I want and not hurt myself at the same time. So at that, at that time I was, I was still working as a, as a tattoo artist. So the, the guy that I worked for also happened to, to build custom motorcycles. So he, he had some welding and some manufacturing background. So I said, hey, you know, I, I've got this idea. I want to make this tool that that will be bomb proof. I, I need to be able to put 
an enormous amount of pressure on this hair without the tool bending and breaking and me, you know, impaling myself on a, on a four out hook. Now, so, while you're telling him this, is he just like, what the F are you talking about? Yeah. Kid? Yeah. He was like, uh, <laughs> show me. You want to like smush deer hair together? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a hunter too. So he was like, what are you talking about? So I brought in, <laughs> I brought in some flies and I showed him the process and I said, uh, you know, what, what do you think? So what we did at that now you got to understand, I went through like seven or eight prototype type things before, before the, the final, you know, the final fugly packer happened. So, so what we did was we took a pair of, of piercing pliers and we cut the ends off and, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how, I guess, I guess the next, the next part is illegal technically federally, but I'm going to say it anyway. And they can come in. You cut the mattress tags. I took, yeah, exactly. So we took a 50 cent piece and we cut it in half and we welded it to the ends of this pliers and then built up metal behind it to support it. And that was literally the first fugly packer. It was made out of a cut pair of piercing pliers and welted on 50 cent pieces um so that that gave kind of the rough idea and i used that for a little while and i said yeah okay i can't sell these but but we're we're on to something here so i took that and it took me quite a while actually because for whatever reason um machine shops were very apprehensive to to get involved with this whole process um small run stuff. Nobody was really interested in working with me. Um, so I, I found a guy finally and I, I took, I took this thing to him and, you know, he looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, what the hell is this? So I had to go through the same process all over again. I had to explain to him what I do with it and whatever. I said, can you, can you take this basic idea and refine it and, and make me something that, that could be produced and something that I could offer other people. So, couple of weeks later he calls me up and he says come down to the shop and check this thing out I said, I said all right man so i get down there and he's got this crazy looking thing um i don't have one anymore i wish i had saved all of these things but you know when when we bought our house we kind of cleaned out and moved and and uh, i got rid of some of that stuff but this thing was gnarly looking i mean it was all this bent metal with with hinges and a spring assembly so that when you closed it, it bounced right back open, but there was nothing that stopped it from flying all the way around the other side on the hinges. So it was like, it was just this wild looking contract, you know, contraption. And I, I was a little, a little blown away by it and uh, I used it and, and it worked and it was cool. Um, and I said, okay, um, well, can, can you make me a bunch of them? And he said, well, you know, I, I don't know, man, uh, maybe it's going to take me some time. I said, okay, well, whatever. So, so he made a bunch of them and I got them and they were absolute garbage. It was the most disappointing thing I, that had ever happened because I was so excited that, that I had something. Um, was it more disappointing than the podcast not recording? A little bit because we had some <laughs> good stuff earlier on, man. But, uh. So, so I, I took this box and I, I threw them all out and I, I 
shelved the idea. I was totally discouraged at that point. I said, man, this is just never going to happen. Nobody, nobody wants to work with me on this and, and it's just not going to happen. So, so I called my dad and, uh, my, my dad is in the industrial kind of supply industry. So I said, Hey, do you, do you know anybody? Do you do any business with any machinists, any industrial designers, anybody like that? And he said, you know, I might run into some people. Why don't you give me your ideas and I'll, uh, I'll take it around with me. So a couple of weeks later, he, uh, he calls me up and he said, Hey, I got a guy that's willing to, to take a look at this and, and, and figure it out. I said, okay, cool. So I, you know, he, he takes the tools and, and I don't know, maybe a month later or so the guy gets in touch with us and he's like, Hey, I've got, I've got a design. Now in the meantime, <clears throat> Because that other design was so out of this world, we had made multiple other other ideas. You know, we had taken like tile pliers and and cut and welded them and and reshaped them and all sorts of things, like five or six different different ideas to try to to hone in the idea. Um, so this guy gets in touch with me. He says, you know, we got this finished design. So I, we went and we picked it up and, and I knew right away, I was like, this is it. This is, this is what I needed. So I said, okay, great. Can you, can you make them for me? No, nah, man, I'm, I'm not into that uh, aspect of it. I just create things. I said, oh, all right. Um, well, do you know, do you know any machine shops that would be willing to make them for me? Nah, sorry, you're, you're on your own. I said, uh, <laughs> okay. So back to square one again, I've got this, this finished design with nobody to make it for me. Um, so it took, oh man, it took a while. It took probably six months, lots of phone calls. And, uh, and finally, again, my, my dad kind of saved the day for me. And he, he found one of his customers who also operated a very small garage style machine shop. So for the first year, these things were being made in a garage, 35 minutes from my house, 25 of them at a time. And that's how I brought them to market. Um, and then it got busy and hairline wanted them. And it took, it took over a year for me to find another machine shop, a bigger scale machine shop that was willing to work with me on these and, uh, and make them. And, uh, but I kept it in America. I mean, I had, I'm not going to lie. I, 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 uh, for, for, I had a moment of weakness and I said, well, maybe, maybe a Chinese company can make them for me. And I tried and they were absolutely, they were worse than the first box of scrap mm -hmm. that I got. Uh, so they all went in the garbage and I said, you know what? I need to be a fully American, American company. And, uh, so I, I went back to the grind and, and went back to making phone calls and phone calls and I got CAD drawings made of it and finally found a shop in Colorado that was willing to make these things for me. And now they are produced in Colorado and hairline distributes them all over for me. And it's been pretty cool. We're going to get you on shark tank. <laughs> I don't think, uh, I don't think that'll work out, but, <laughs> okay. but yeah, that was, uh, that's the story of the Packer. Man. A, it's, you know, one of those things I just never gave up on it. 
Although there were a couple of times that I was questioning my sanity and pursuing it. But now it's, uh, I'm glad I did, you know, it worked out pretty well. What's the retail price on a uh, go, uh, the big one is twenty nine ninety five, and the smaller one is twenty eight ninety five. Okay. Excellent. All right. Next on the list of tying, what's your bobbin preference? Well, you know, <laughs> funny story about bobbins. <laughs> I don't really have one at this point. In fact, I I don't like any of them. Um, <laughs> The, uh, I, I did a lot with right bobbins early on and I really love the right bobbins. Um, I think they're a, a, a tremendous bobbin for everything, but what I do. Is um, it the pressure that you're putting on? Yeah, it's, there's not very many things that are made to handle the amount of pressure that I put on thread and the hook. Um, so I break them quite a bit, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, Lyle, the guy that owns Right Bob and laughs at me all the time. He tells me that I'm his best product tester because I break everything that they do. And, and really, I'm the only one that breaks these things in the places that I do. And it's it's just got to do with the pressure that I put on on the tool. It's not made for that. And and normal people doing normal flies would never, ever, ever break them in the way that I do. Um, it really is a tremendous product and a, and a, and a great bobbin. It's just not made for for packing hair, you know, for, for doing this kind of work. So are, are you too much of a niche tire to have a bobbin specifically designed for you? Well, what's funny is I've got one in the works right now. Um, I, uh, I threw out the idea, um, a while ago to, uh, you know, to the fly tying community. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm breaking bobbins left and right. And I've pretty much tried all of them on the market. And I said, you know, who else is busting bobbins doing deer hair work? And pretty much everybody came to the plate and, and said, yeah, we're having the same problem. You know, what, what can we do? And I said, well, I can make one. And, uh, and that's what I'm doing now. I, I've got a, a friend of mine who is a absolutely brilliant machinist and uh and designer and and i i tossed around some ideas and i i drew a design and what i did was i basically took all the bobbins over the years that i broke and uh i had a pile that weak spot yep i had a pile of them i spread them out on the table and i looked at everywhere that they broke because i've broken multiple brands in multiple places and i said okay let me let me figure out what it is that I'm doing and what it is that, that these bobbins are not able to handle that I can fix. So I designed something around the weak points on all the other bobbins. And uh, I've got it being made right now. We've got a prototype that's uh, in progress. Um, the whole thing is being custom made and machined and it's... Uh, it's a pretty serious tool. Um, I'm hoping that in the next three, four months, we'll be able to bring that thing to market and, and get it out there for people to see. Um, it's, it's, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's not going to be cheap because it's, uh, it's a specialty tool and it's, uh, it's going to be made in America and every bit of it from start to finish has been custom machined to my specifications to basically meet the demands of what we do. 
Love it. So you got the bobbins. What thread are you putting in them? Um, I use two threads for 90% of all my flies. I use uh, Danville flat wax nylon. And for all the deer hair work, I use Vivas uh, 200 denier GSP. What denier are you using on the uh, Danville? It's uh, 210 flat wax. 210. Stuff's great. Um, yeah. You know, for all my streamers and all that kind of stuff, that's what I use. And then uh, GSP is is like, I mean, if you're going to do hair work, GSP is the answer. You're never going to get a thread that that handles that handles deer hair like GSP does. It's it's just amazing. And and Vivas makes some of the best GSP I've ever used. And your hook preference? I use uh, all partridge hooks. They're strong, man. They're yeah, strong they're, and sharp. They're tough hooks. They're sharp. Um, yeah, I like the uh, the black nickel finish on most of them too. Uh, yeah, they're just they're just a killer hook. They really are. And Mark's a good dude. It's a good company to to work with. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you use razor blades and you cut yourself, right? Cut myself all the time. So your hands, man, I feel bad for them. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for my hands sometimes too. <laughs> uh, so you have to use, I think I, hold on, let me see if I've got deer hair. Okay. We'll get to that later when you ask about it. Preference for brand of razors? Uh, Wilkinson swords are the, are the ones that I use. They are, uh. By far, they last the longest and they're the sharpest that I've ever used. Um, they're not the cheapest, that's for sure. But I really think that they're they're one of the better blades. I mean, here's the thing: it's 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 like using a knife. You know, what's uh, a dull knife is a is a dangerous knife, and it's the same yeah. with a razor blade. You know, if you've got a dull blade, get rid of it because you're going to hurt yourself or, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, you spend an hour getting hair on this hook and, and you make all your designs and then, and then you have to push a little bit too hard with that razor blade because it's not quite sharp enough. And then you take a divot out of your work or you cut through it and you hack your thread and, you know, you just wasted an hour of your life. It's all off. to start over again. It's just not worth it for the, you know, the 50 cents a razor blade costs, throw it out and get a new one. Yeah. Any, uh, any development of a razor holder for you? Well, you know, or uh, cha- chain mail, there's chain mail gloves you can get. Yeah, there is chain mail gloves. I've thought about that before, but there, um, there, there might be something a little, a little razor blade type holder situation that, that may be in the works. Nice. All right. Uh, let's see what else. Um, I have what brand of dye do you use? So I must've written that down after looking at pictures of you dyeing something. Well, I don't, the, so we were talking about like the ultra suede oh, stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's where I got it. Yeah. Um, are you using like Kool-Aid or are you using RIT? Uh, what, what I use on the ultra suede, um, is, uh, it's called Dynaflow. It's, um, it's a liquid silk dye and what, uh, all right. So 
so I only, you know, I only offer the, the, the ultra suede in white. That way people can, can be creative and make their own, make their own designs and colors and whatever. Um, but you know, because I do so many of them at, at once, the, the liquid dyes are nice, the, the Dynaflow, because I can use them like a watercolor. So if you ever look at the finish tails on flies that I sell, they, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're all sorts of color blends and, and, and gradients and spots and, and, and I, you know, I can make them look modeled and it's because of that dye. Uh, I do every tail one at a time. Um, it's not like I could throw them all into a, a large dye pot and get that effect. I mean, I could dye them solid colors like that if I wanted to, but I'm not a big fan of any solid color, anything. If, you know, if anybody's ever seen what I make, it's, uh, there's always lots of stuff going on. So it's the same thing with the ultra suede. So the Dynaflow, I use it with a brush, just like a watercolor paint. And, uh, and I can do all my gradients and spots and, and all sorts of crazy stuff with them. Uh, it's, it's pretty neat. Neat. It's a real neat product. You let it air dry and then you iron it and, uh, it's, it's a permanent dye. And I also use uh, fabric markers if I need little details in something. Um, are sharpies the, the are are not really recommended. They they react funny with the with the ultra suede, and they cause it to stiffen up. Uh, you can use sharpies in very very small amounts on them to do little detail things, but to color a whole tail with a sharpie is not a great idea. So the Co the Copic pens. Copic pens are not a good idea on them either. Copic is a is an alcohol based pigment and. Uh, it's a surface treatment. It doesn't, it doesn't work itself into the material. Of okay. course, when Copic first came out, none of us knew that. So we were all just going crazy with it, coloring everything. Um, but then you put it in the water and, and 15 minutes later, it washes away. Copic is really, really good for poppers and things like that, like foam or cork or balsa. If you can coat them with epoxy afterwards, but Copic needs to be sealed to work. So it's not great on the, uh, on the ultra suede Prisma colors work pretty well. Um, there's some other permanent markers that are okay, but really the best bet is to use fabric oriented stuff. Right. You can pick up and fabric up. markers for like six bucks at, at, you know, at, at craft stores or Walmart even has them. We were, uh, I was looking at my wife's box of clementines last night, those little orange things. Yeah. And there's a little plastic mesh that came with him that covers them. I wonder if that would work well as one of the spray brush. Um, what do you call that? Temp, temp, not a template. Like when you put the little thing over and you spray it and then yeah, you get yeah, a pattern. Yeah, yeah. It would work. We use all, like you're, you're talking about like airbrushing now, right? Yeah. Yeah, man, that would work. We use all sorts of weird things. You know what works really good too? You know those... Uh, those scrunchy things, uh, loofahs, I think they're called the, the mesh. Yeah. If you, uh, if you take some of the material from that, that, that works really well for a scale pattern too. Nice. All right. So what should every tire have on their tying bench? There's one thing everyone should have a vice. <laughs> yeah. Any little like knit little like tricks, tools, I mean, you know, I think everyone I, should have a, a emery board. So your fingertips are smooth. I mean, I think that it depends on the kinds of flies that you're tying. You know, I, I mean, 
a guy that's tying little nymphs or dry flies or whatever wouldn't need the same tools that I need. Um, so, you know, it, it, I think a, a lot of it really just varies on, on your style of tying flies, you know, I mean, basic tools, everybody has a vice scissors, a Bob, you know, bobbins, bodkins, that kind of thing. But I mean, if you're going to get into the more, more specialty stuff, like, you know, like what I do, if you're going to tie big flies, you're going to tie bass bugs, things like that. I mean, I wouldn't go anywhere without, without my fugly packer as far as deer hair goes, but you know, it just little things like that. Um, you know, a good pair of scissors, everybody needs scissors. Um, I think, I think across the board, you know, no matter what flies you tie, I mean, there's, there's basic tools that everybody needs. Um, and then, and then the rest of it just depends on your, on, on your style of tying flies. Is there one thing that people have that we don't need? That's a good question. I mean, I think that's part of fly fishing. We all have lots of junk that we don't need. I can't think of any one one specific thing, no. Yeah, neither can I. I just thought I'd throw it out there. <laughs> okay, let's talk about something that your, your e-commerce on your site. So you got the Fugly Packers. Yep. And you got the creature stuff. So yep. how did you come about saying, um, like, I just don't like the ultra suede's that are out there or there's something I want to make that, that works? better for me like you've got the new frog tails this year yep uh, that look like they're just gonna spin across the water surface oh yeah man they're they're crazy in the water um so that stuff all right long story short soft plastics in the in the professional bass world um they're they're incredible producers of big fish um Many, 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 many tournaments have been won on soft plastics because of that finesse style fishing. So I look at soft plastics and I go, man, there's got to be a way to bring that idea into fly fishing. So, of course, there are there are other companies that have ultra suede products on the market. I mean, the using um, using that. Hang on a minute. I got a call coming in. Okay. Um, I think I hung up on it. Okay, I did. Um, well, my my wife's texting me to go get sandwiches for lunch. Nice. <laughs> get me one too. I know. So uh, you know there there are there are ultra suede products on the market before mine, um, uh, and, and other other companies have used various other fabrics and materials and suede and chamois and whatever to kind of try to imitate that same, that same thing. So the concept itself is not, you know, it's not original. It's not new. It's nothing like that. Um, but the shapes are, are new and, and the, the motions are different. And I guess, you know, I, I, I had tried a bunch of the products that were on the market already in hopes that they would do exactly what it was that I was looking to do. And they fell a little bit short. Um, I wasn't getting the exact motions that I was looking for. I wasn't getting the right silhouette that I wanted. So I started fooling around, and, and Ultra Suede seemed like one of the better material choices because it, it doesn't break down in the sun. Water Hooks doesn't don't penetrate it, it. What's that? You can't, like, I used to use the rubber spinning tails. Yeah, they don't last. Get ripped off, and the hook would penetrate them. And then it wouldn't spin. They, they fell apart. Yeah, exactly. And being a guy that loves to chase pike, I needed something that 
if it got punctured, it wouldn't tear. So I tried silicone, I tried latex, I tried a bunch of different stuff and it was just not, it was not the durability that I was looking for. So I said, okay, you know, maybe these other companies are onto something using ultra suede. So I started fooling around with shapes and whatever. And like my, my tail, my, my attractor tail is a good example. Now I, you cut something, right? You cut it and you're like, oh man, I got the perfect shape. This is going to be awesome. And then you get it in the water and it doesn't do anything that you think it's going to do. And you're like, oh, your bathtub. What's that? I remember, I remember you bathtub with a stick and you're dragging them back and forth. Yeah. On, on you, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so a lot. So R and D you got to cut it and then go back to the drawing board and that's it. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you come up with your, your initial shape or your initial motion and then you cut it out and you, you test it. And when you're getting close, you're like, okay, let me refine this. Let me refine that. So my attractor tail, I wanted to imitate specifically a Mr. Twister style tail where you get that kind of double corkscrew look. Um, so it took me, I made 26 tail designs before I was able to get that exact motion that I was looking for. Um, and all of them have been like that, you know, um, they, they start off with an idea. Um, I need, I need this to do this. Like there was nobody that had realistic frog legs on the market, you know, and it wasn't that I was looking for emotion out of those frog legs because most of the time, if you ever actually watch a bass eat a frog, that frog is at a standstill. It's just yeah. chilling in the water. The silhouette. Yeah. So I wanted a perfect silhouette. I wanted to know that when those legs got wet, they would droop below the body because that's what they do in, in the water in real life. And they gave that perfect silhouette when a large mouth is looking up. I wanted it to actually look like a frog. And uh, that's what I did. You know, so all of that stuff has kind of come out the same way. You know, it was, I was filling a gap that I didn't feel we had naturally in, in fly tying. So uh, it was just my answer to those things that I was looking for. And what do you use? You get a swatch of ultra suede, which I've tried to find. I've never really, I, I thought I found some at a, what'd you call it? Uh, like, um, textile store in philadelphia yeah like oh yeah we'll cut you you know like a 10 square piece inch and it was nothing like ultra suede so i've never really found the stuff but people have told me it's difficult to cut your own shapes is that true it's very true yeah all of mine are laser cut um right it's uh unbelievably tough fabric um i go right to the company that actually produces the real ultra suede um you know, there, there's knockoffs and whatever, and uh, it's very, very expensive. I mean, the, the material itself is unbelievably expensive. Um, I get a little bit of a break on it because I buy such such big quantities of it, but it's still – I mean, if people saw my material costs, they would <laughs> – between that and getting them laser cut in, in, in the States – you know, I mean, these things are they're, – they're cut for me up in up – you know, they're, they're cut in New York – so it's, uh, it's expensive all the way around, you know, that's why any of these products, you know, I, I wish I could bring prices down on all of them, but man, you know, you, you want things made in the U S and you want them made with high, with high end materials. They're, they're expensive mm -hmm. and I've never let price get in the way of quality. So I'd rather have the real deal and, and, you know, sell less of them because people don't want to spend the money than, than sell a knockoff product, you know? Right. How'd you come up about with the, the Helgramite, man? That thing is, 
it's I mean, it looks like an alien spat it out. Yeah, I know, right? Well, I mean, halgrimites are a staple in smallmouth fishing, um, smallmouth and walleye, and uh, even trout. You know, trout go crazy over big halgrimites. So, you know, there's been all sorts of halgrimite patterns on the market. Um, you know, Harry Murphy's got one. Uh, you know, everybody's tried to imitate them. I mean. Wooly buggers, for better or worse, imitate a hugger mite. But yeah. what had happened was my my stepfather and I fished together almost every weekend in the summer. And we were out smallmouth fishing one day. And uh, he was absolutely beating the snot out of the fish. And I wasn't catching anything. And I couldn't figure it out. I was like, what the hell are you doing that I'm not doing? Because, man, I'm throwing everything I have at these things. And uh, I looked. And he had on this little soft plastic realistic helgramite i mean the thing was the shape was dead on and he was just kind of jigging it along these seam lines and he was just every other cast he had a you know a 16 to 18 inch bass on and i was like man that's crazy i don't have anything that's going to imitate that so you know i don't know if they were keying in that day on that exact silhouette or whatever i mean this thing this thing looked like a Helgramite. I mean, it had the little rubber legs on it and everything. And I said, well, geez, I, I need to make one of these things. So back to the drawing board. At that point, I already had the tail out. Um, or no, I didn't, actually. The Helgramite was my first was my first design. Um, so so I started fooling around, and I started making, uh, making the Helgramites. And I, I made them, and I tested them all year that year. And uh, they were awesome. I mean, I was catching fish left and right on these things. Big walleye and smallmouth, and I caught some carp on them. And I said, yeah, this is a this thing is a winner. So I, I had it made, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, by the time I, I had them produced, somebody else had already had that same, you know, kind of a similar idea and came out with their own, uh, their own Helgramite-style-looking uh, ultra-suede cutout. Um, and then, you know, mine followed that, which was unfortunate because I'd been working on it for a year, but it's one of those things that I don't bring anything to market unless it's fully tested and proven first. You know, I just won't come up with an idea and throw it out there. It's gotta be, it's gotta be worked thoroughly, you know, not only by me, but I work with a, I work with a group of guides all over the country that also test all my flies and my materials and stuff before I bring them out. So this thing just, it wasn't ready, you know, and, uh, and when it was, we we brought it out, and it's been it's been a very successful idea. Um, there's really been no no other realistic style Helgramite out there to get that motion and that silhouette. Yeah, and that silhouette. I mean, it's the laser, the accuracy of the laser that cuts those. Yeah, you couldn't concave. cut that by hand. I mean, it just wouldn't. Not with that kind of precision and detail. I mean, it's it's all about that laser. Okay, what do I have here? I think we answered most of the deer hair questions. Um, let's see. Difference between stacking and spinning? Sure. Um, all right, so spinning deer hair, you're using one clump of hair, and you're working that, that clump 360 degrees all the way around that hook shank. So... You've got no, um, you've got no control over, over the hair. You can't make, 
you can't make any patterns. You can't make any spots or dots or anything like that. You're using one solid chunk and it's going evenly on the top and the bottom of the hook shank at the same time. Now, stacking hair enables you to work one side of the hook shank to the other. It's usually to, uh, bottom to top. Um, and you control every little tiny bit of hair that you put on that hook. But besides that, the density of hair that you can actually use is, is much, much higher. So you're going to get a, a much tighter, much more dense hair bug by using stacking techniques than you ever will using spinning techniques. Spinning is good for simple things like, like muddler heads and stuff like that, where the hair doesn't have to necessarily be packed very tight. Stacking is going to be really for your bass bugs and, and things where you, you need a lot of hair and, you know, and you want to put some design into the hair. And a lot of the hair that gives it the buoyancy to stay up on yeah, top of the water. Yeah. yeah. Deer hair. Um, when the deer is harvested, uh, what, what keeps deer warm in the wintertime is the fact that the cellular structure in the hair changes. Um, people think that deer hair is hollow like a straw. It's not. But the cellular structure changes and the cells become more hollow, which insulates, you know, it helps trap the, the body heat into the body. And, uh, you know, and that's when the deer are mainly harvested for this. And that's also what allows deer hair to be buoyant. Uh, how do you figure out you, when you want to have like a black bar with three yellow dots going across it, you just, you can visualize that when you're stacking all that and packing the hair in there, that when you cut it, you can you visually see the final product as you're putting it in there? Oh yeah. Yeah. Everything that I do is purposeful. Um, I mean, once you learn the techniques and once you, once you understand how to make all those things, then you, you completely visualize it before it's made. I mean, you know, every piece of hair that you're putting on there, you know what it's going to do and what it's going to create in the end. That's what's nice about stacking is you've got, you've got total control over every aspect of it. So you know exactly what it is that you're creating. Should this be intimidating to people? Get, get your DVD and make it less intimidating. I think that's exactly it. I mean, my DVD really breaks it down so that anybody with a little bit of practice can, can learn it. I mean, I think that that's why, that's why bass bugs were a bit of a dying thing for a while. Um, you know, people were afraid of it. They, they didn't understand how they could manipulate that material to do those things. And, uh, my DVD, the whole, the whole goal of those DVDs were to break it down and make it so that anybody could do it, you know, like, look, take the, I wanted to take the, the intimidation factor away from it and show this is how you do it. And then from there, the only thing that stops you is your creativity. I mean, those DVDs lay out all the techniques that you would ever need to know. And it definitely helps that you've developed tools to make it easier for others to do this. Yeah. I mean, I gotta be honest at this point in time and I mean, yeah, it's my tool. I make money selling them, but without that tool, I wouldn't be able to do what, what it is that I do with these, these hair bugs. I mean, the density, if you, if you get one of my bugs and you squeeze it, I mean, you can't even compress the hair. It's, it's cork tight. 
And I wouldn't be able to do that without this tool. And what's the time frame on a fishable bass bug? Depends on the size and the complexity. I mean, I can get one done in half an hour. Um, some of the more complex ones take a lot longer than that. Um, you know, they could take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on, on what I'm doing with them. Um, you know, it, it really just depends on, on how big it is and how complex you want to make it. What about uh, like a display? So you just finished up, I think it was like a, maybe a, a muskie or a pike? Yeah, they're, they're well over three hours a piece. There's lots of work that goes into those. Do you have the TV running like Judge Judy and nah, Price is no Right? No, TV, man. Radio. We do some, Radio. Uh, you know, do some music. But I, I don't like to, when I'm, when I'm working, man, it's, I don't want to be distracted by things like that. So I, uh, I just kind of put the radio on and plug away. All right. Um, what other display species do you tie? There's brook trout. There's yeah, I've done bald, man, bald eagles. Many. Um, I've done brook trout, brown trout, rainbow trout. I've done some steelhead, um, smallmouth, largemouth. I make bluegills. I did a crappy over the winter for a guy. Um, I've done perch. Um, I've made big snakeheads for, um, the bear's den in, uh, in Massachusetts. He's got a couple of big snakeheads that I made out of deer hair for him. Uh, Scott, I've done all sorts of stuff, man. I mean, pretty much, you know, somebody contacts me and they say, Hey, we want you to make the blobfish. Yeah. A blowfish or, or whatever, you know, I mean, I can, I can pretty much, I mean, it may take me a little while, but I can pretty much figure out how to, how to make that happen or at least, uh, a reasonable, a reasonable facsimile of it anyway. Any bizarre requests you've had? Um, no, nah, I don't think so, man. Nothing. Actually, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had a guy get in touch with me. He wants me to make, he saw the, I made a rattlesnake last year for a clothing company out in Oregon. Um, at a deer hair. It was a foot long. Uh, I think it was crazy looking, but All articulated. Yeah. The whole thing was articulated. It had, um, God, it must've had, I don't know, 10 or 12, 10 or 12 segments to it. Um, it that was a lot of work. That was about six hours, seven hours of tying. But, um, I just had a guy contact me and he wants me to make, there's this centipede that it's in the jungle somewhere and it's, it's like a foot long and he wants me to make one of those for him out of deer hair. So that'll be kind of cool. Those things are all blue. Yeah. I mean, their colors on them say, don't come near me. I yeah. will F you up, dude. Yeah, it's fun. That should be fun. Stuff like that yeah. is awesome, though. I mean, I love uh, I love pushing what people think of as, you know, I mean, all right. So so when you get to that, to that point and you're doing things like that, I mean, you're no longer tying a fly, even though you're using traditional fly tying techniques to do it. But I love pushing, pushing the envelope of what people think you can do with deer hair. You know, so, so you're working more from a sculptural perspective and an art perspective at that point. Although that rattlesnake was completely a fishable fly. You could have thrown that in the water and caught bass awesome. on it or caught pike or whatever with it. Um, you know, it's still obviously, I mean, people aren't going to look at that and go, oh man, this is a fly. It's, yeah. you know, at that point you're more into the, the artistic end of fly fishing for sure. Or fly tying, but are, are you familiar with, um, Hank Patterson's uh, Chinese buffet. 
No, I don't think I've seen that one. It's like it's like a one big hook that's got like a, a royal coachman, uh, LK or Caddis and Adams like all next to each other, <laughs> all on Can one you, hook. You, yeah, it's awesome. a Chinese buffet. Could you take like the metal of a hanger and make like you know like five canaries sitting on? You probably on could. like a, a telephone wire or something. You probably could. Yeah. Interesting. It would be uh, it would be a bit cumbersome, but but I think you could right. do it. What about you get a lot of pictures in the mail, like people send in what they've caught on your flies? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get emails all the time. I love that. I mean, that's, you know, here's the thing. Like, I used to fish. I used to fish a lot. I mean, I was out 200 days a year or more on the water. And then, and that was when I was still tattooing. Um, you know, and now that I'm, now that I work in this industry full time, it's, it's a lot harder to get out on the water that often because I'm, you know, I'm busy. I'm busy making flies for other people to go catch fish with. Um, so at this point in, at this point in time, you know, I, I really, I look forward to getting those pictures because, you know, if I'm sitting here for 14 hours a day <clears throat> at my vice, it's, it's nice to be able to live a little bit, a little bit vicariously through some of my customers that are doing cool things that, that, you know, I might not be able to get out and do um, as often. Uh, I still fish. I mean, I still fish quite a bit, but, not as much as I used to, that's for sure. So I love, love the success photos. And even more than that, I love the pictures of, of the flies that I've inspired. Like, uh, you know, somebody, maybe they'll buy my material or somebody will, will have gotten the DVD or something. And then all of a sudden they're, they're in love with, with making bass bugs themselves. And, and, you know, they're, they're sending me pictures of their creations. I love seeing that stuff. <clears throat> nice and while you're doing this do you wear one of those like haircutting aprons so everything just kind of goes off of you i should but i don't i um i have to vacuum a couple times a day in my office it's it's a disaster right now it's covered in hair everywhere i've got to have rosie but it's since rosie we've been from talking, the, i've been working non-stop yeah rosie from the jetsons would help yeah yeah, I, I could I should get one of those like robo vacuum things. I think it would yeah. scare the hell out of my cats though. That's why we don't have a Roomba. I think yeah. my dog would freak out. Oh yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be good. The cats like the fly tying room a lot anyway, so I don't want to freak them out too much. All right. So everything we've been talking about so far is based on the abundance of warm water fishing near you. Yeah. Do you get out to any exotic locations? I don't. I don't, you know, it's funny. I just had this conversation with a guy yesterday. Um, we, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I think about stuff like that sometimes. Cause I, I make a lot of flies for, uh, for guys that are going to the Amazon and they're, you know, they're chasing all sorts of exotic fish and whatever. And I mean, I think that stuff's awesome. And, you know, one day maybe, but I don't, I don't pine for that. Like I don't, um, it's not something that I'm like, oh my God, I've got to go, I've got to go to British Guyana and go catch, you know, wolffish or, or whatever. I, I love the fishing that I do so much. I, I feel like as many bass and as many carp and as many pike as I catch, I really don't feel like I'll ever get tired of that. I, I just, I love those fish so much that, uh, I don't really have a need for that. Like, you know, I, 
in my, I, I am fortunate enough that I get to do a lot of traveling inside the U.S. Um, you know, I do a lot of presentations and I teach classes and stuff. So, you know, I get to fish around the country for for similar species or whatever, and I love that. Like, I was in Texas in May and and I got to fish for it was it was a goal of mine to to catch a Guadalupe bass and uh, you know I fished the Colorado River, the Lower Colorado for for a couple of days and and I got to to go out and just catch a ton of them and uh and largemouth in their rivers and stuff and man that's that really fills my need uh, as an angler i don't i don't have that desire i guess to go to go all over the you know all the corners of the earth and and catch those fish not that i would mind i just i'm really happy catching bass and pike and carp just think of all those bowel issues you're avoiding by traveling to these places that's you know that is a concern it's more you ever watch that show monsters inside me? I saw one where she's like, and I sat down on the toilet and something came out and they used like night crawlers from Walmart. And I'm like, yeah, that's not Ascaris. <laughs> yeah. Which is a funny name for a worm that comes out of your Ascaris. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, the, 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 <laughs> the point is that the thing, the things that get you, in those places are, are so small that, you know, there's no, there's no preventing that sometimes. Not that that would stop me, but, but I'm definitely avoiding any kind of like bot fly incident or, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, bot flies. If you want to gross someone out, look up bot fly and then I, yeah, I'm and good with like, that, man. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, I loved parasitology. That was one of my favorite classes in college. Really? Makes you want to rethink about eating ramen sometimes. Yeah, you know, I, I I saw an episode of that, and and I stopped eating sushi, and I love sushi, and I I stopped eating sushi after that because of the wow. the parasites this guy picked up yeah. that basically turned his brain into Swiss cheese from eating sushi. Wow, I'm not a hypochondriac, but shit like that freaks me out, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotta be careful at Somerset with the hot dogs, man. You know, you're going to get some, some Somerset tapeworm. Yeah, dude, it's no good. So speaking of Somerset, you got some shows coming up. Yeah. The, uh, the New Jersey fly fishing show, uh, at Somerset is coming up here in a couple of weeks. So I'll be there. Um, I don't do as many, I don't do as many shows as I used to. Um, not that I don't enjoy them. I just, uh, business is good. And, and, the, the commercial end of what I do, um, you know, springtime orders, unfortunately, like all the shows are in the wintertime. So at that same time, I'm also doing all my spring, my spring orders for shops and stuff like that. Um, but what I've done, what I've done more of recently is, uh, I'm teaching a lot more classes in the wintertime. Like I'm going to shops and I'm, I'm doing deer hair classes and, and I do presentations and stuff like that versus, Versus going to, to huge shows all over the country. I, I like that more of a, an intimate space where I can actually talk and, and, and teach people. You have to send your intern to the shows that you <laughs> yeah. can't make it to. I need, once I get one, maybe, you know? Yeah. I mean, I like local the high shows. The shows are fun, you know, but there's something cool, though, about sitting down with a group of 10 people that are just so into the idea of making bass bugs. And, and you know, or, or I did a couple of pike pike streamer classes this last year and i just there's something so so rewarding about that about sitting down 
in a group like that and, and, and having everybody leave feeling confident that they can go home and do this now, you know, I, that's, that's the part that I really liked. All right. So anything else you want to talk about? Nah, I, I, I mean, I think we've touched on a lot of things, man. Is there yeah. anything else uh, you want to know? Not really. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything that we covered in the first part. Elvira, and we talked Toxic Avenger. Yeah, I'm hoping that that stuff, uh, you're able to pull that stuff out, man. Man, this, this software for, I don't know, dude. I mean, be, the first, no the first three time times conversation without Elvira and the Toxic Avenger. Yeah. Is there anything else we, we missed out on? Um, advice you'd have for anybody getting into fly tying that's listening to this? I mean, you know, the, the, the big thing is, is don't, don't get overwhelmed and, uh, and don't give up. I mean, whether it's, whether it's big streamers for, for trout or, or bass or pike or, or you're making bass bugs or you're making dry flies or whatever, you know, don't, don't give up on it. It, it may be frustrating at first. And uh, now my learning curve was, was pretty steep because I, I taught myself. But, but there are so many groups out there that you can join, local clubs um, that, that can shorten your time up a lot at the vice learning. Um, and don't get sucked into the, to the BS on social media either. There's so much negativity, um, in, in that aspect of fly tying and fly fishing. Don't, don't let that stuff get you down, you know? Yeah. Some kid will post like, this is my first fly I've ever tied. What will it catch? And people are like, you'll get a wet trash bag. That thing's a piece of junk. Yeah. It's like, and that, that don't, yeah. Don't be an online bully. Yeah, I don't understand that. I don't understand how we've gotten to that. Um, but, you know, I, I do my best to try to stay away from that because, you know, there's always hate, man. I mean, that's just part of that's part of life. But it's it's much easier to be a negative person on on social media because you're you know, you're a tough, a tough guy behind a keyboard. But don't get you know, don't get sucked into that stuff. That's what's important. Just keep doing what you're doing and, and, and just rock it out, man. And don't be afraid to, like, try new things and be creative and, and step outside the boundaries of what people think are acceptable as flies. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I come up with a design and people are like, dude, you're a lore maker. You're not a fly tire. Whatever. You know what? A, a fly is a lore. The Lures. End. Yep. There's no rules. As long as it's legal, rock it yep. out. Keep stretching the limits. That's right. All right, man. Well, I guess I'll see you in a couple weeks up in uh, Jersey. All right, cool, man. And I'll have a, a nice bottle of sauce for you. Sweet. Sounds yeah, good. Man. All right, dude. Thank you so much for your time. All right, man. Today. Be good. We'll talk All right, soon. Cheers. Oh, where can people find you online again? Oh, it's uh, www.theletters.ru.superfly.com. I'm also on Facebook and I'm on Instagram as well. Very cool. All right, man. Keep it up. All right. Be good. Cheers. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.